Uh, this past Wednesday, we actually began the season of Lent. Lent is the season where, where we pause as Christians before the Easter celebration, and we embark on this journey of introspection. We look within ourselves. We find out where we are missing the mark. That's what sin is. Sin means missing the mark. We're missing the mark in our walk with God, and we're identifying those areas and places that, that we need to seek God's guidance and forgiveness and restoration from. We recognize that we fall, and therefore, by the grace of God, through our confession of our sin, that God restores us by his grace, ultimately moving toward the cross of Jesus, leading us into Easter Sunday. So this season of Lent, uh, we've decided that what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to teach about a garden. Did you get that yet? You know, so, so today we, we want you to feel like you're in the garden, and not just any garden. Uh, we want to start in the garden, the garden where God placed Adam and Eve. Uh, so we can read about this in Genesis. If you are worshiping at home, uh, take your electronic device or your Bible, open up into Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to be bopping back and forth between Genesis uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're going to start in chapter 2. If you're in the room today, you'll see it on the screen. As well as at home, you'll see it on the screen. Or if you've got a Bible or electronic device, take an opportunity and do this. So, so God created this beautiful garden. Who knows what the garden's name was? Eden, that's the middle name of our oldest granddaughter. So Eden, so God created Eden and, and it was a garden of perfection and beauty. And in that garden, God placed the first two people that the scriptures tell us were the creations of God. Who were they? They were Adam and Adam and Eve. Okay, you guys, so far you're 100% with this. So God placed them in this garden and it was, it was surrounded by beautiful uh, tropical and uh, all sorts of different kinds of trees and fruits and food and animals and everything. But in the middle of the garden, there were two trees. One tree was the, was the tree of, of knowledge and life and, and go, of good and evil, and the other one was the tree of life. And they sat next to each other. And God placed Adam and Eve into this garden and basically said to them that you can have your run of anything in this garden. You can eat from any tree that you want, except... Don't eat from the tree of good and evil. You can eat from everything else. And at that moment, all of a sudden, we started seeing that things began to turn in the minds of, of Adam and Eve. So let's, let's look at what, what the scriptures say. Let's go to Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to be reading from Eugene Peterson's translation called The Message. Here's what he says. God is speaking. God says to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any. Say the word any. Any, you can eat from any tree in the garden except, say the word except, except. So you can eat from any tree except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it, okay? So I don't know how much more direct God can be. You can eat from anything except this one and don't eat from this one. And he says, the moment you eat from that tree, you're what? He says, you're dead, okay? So, so all of a sudden, God has proclaimed this to Adam and Eve. They know what the ground rules are. They're living in this beautiful garden, this place called Eden, and the serpent enters in. The serpent comes in, and the serpent appears, and he convinces Adam and Eve to eat from the forbidden tree. Okay? So all of a sudden now... We see the story is changing. God has created this perfect place. God has created man and woman, and God has said you can have anything except this one thing. I give you everything else except this one thing. 
Why is it we always want the one thing that we're told we can't have? We're going to find out a little bit about that as we look at this story. So as a result of this, when Adam and Eve embark and eat from the forbidden tree, disobedience comes and they are now forbidden to return to the garden. Let me ask you a question. Why'd they eat the fruit? Why do you think they ate the fruit? Now, some people will answer that question, and some will say they ate the fruit because of pride. They were prideful, and they ate the fruit. Others will say, no, they ate the fruit because they wanted to be like God. Okay? So those are the two predominant reasons that we bat around as to why they ate from this tree. But the truth is, earlier in chapter 1, we learn where God says, let us create them, male and female, in our own image. So follow me here for a second. God created us in God's image. Would you agree with that? So therefore, we don't need to be like God. We don't want to be like God because God already created us in his image in the first place. So this means they didn't eat the fruit because they wanted to be like God because they were already like God. They ate the fruit because the serpent deceived them. The serpent said, you are not as good as you think you are. You are not what God has said you are. You are far less. And God is withholding something from you. You can't trust God, so therefore you need to listen to me, the serpent says. And once you eat from this tree, things will change. Now let's, let's go back into the story here. So, so the challenge is that they believed the serpent. They took his deception and they believed it. So now let's flip over to chapter three and read a little bit more here. So the serpent was clever. He was more clever than any wild animal that God had made. And he spoke to the woman. So here's the serpent talking to the woman. Do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? Is that what God said to Eve? It's not. So he says that God told you not to eat from any tree. God said you can eat from all the trees except what? One. So already the deception has started. The woman said to the serpent, well, not at all, but, but we can eat from the trees in the garden. That's true. But it's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that said, don't eat from it, don't touch it, or you'll die. Did God say don't touch it? No. So already we see this deception has started. And if you've ever had somebody tell you something, and then you left kind of wondering, what is it that they just told me? Or you believe in what they've said, but what they're telling you is not the truth. That's what's happening here. So the serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows at the moment that you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God. What did we learn in Genesis 1? They were already like God in the sense that they were created in the image of God. So now the, the serpent is deceiving them, telling them that they are less than what God has said that they are, okay? So he says, uh, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. And when the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating and realized what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit, 
and gave some to her husband, and he ate it. So now this forbidden tree, they have eaten the fruit. Immediately, the two of them did see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. Remember before that? They didn't know they were naked, okay? They, they sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. You see, here's what's going on. The serpent is making them wonder if God is a truth teller. The serpent is tricking them, is deceiving them, is flooding them with all of this false information and getting them to second guess what they know. And he is tricking them into doing something that God said don't do this, but more importantly, he's making them feel less than they really are. From the moment they were created, they were children of God, they were made in God's image, they were already like God. And the serpent said, you're not. I mean, think about it. It's kind of like the first example of identity theft, okay? You're not like that. And as a result of believing the lie and choosing to eat the fruit, instead of trusting and following God and remembering who they were, at precisely that moment when they ate the fruit and shared it with one another, they were immediately separated from God. And God said, you can't come back in the garden. You're done. Why'd they forget who they were? Let's kind of turn it around to our side. Why, why do we forget who we are? Let's maybe start with that. All right, so yeah, yeah, this is a story of Adam and Eve, but it's our story, isn't it? it? I mean, daily, we forget who we are. We struggle with our identity. We struggle with, with who God says we are. We're not sure about the precepts of God, the teachings of God. We're not really sure about God's promises to us. We second guess things. We're really not sure. And our mind starts saying to us that you are less than, you are not as good as, you are not entitled to anything of what God has given you. You are worthless. your mind ever do that? Do you ever find yourself kind of maybe in a sad or a down or melancholy place and those thoughts are just kind of like clicking away that I'm not good, I'm not valuable, nobody would want to be in a relationship with me, uh, I'm hopeless, I can't keep a job because, I mean, you know, these are the kind of things that, that go through our minds. Why? I think it's because we forget who we are. So, so if I were to ask you the question, do you want to be great? Some of you might immediately misinterpret that and say, well, if, I'm, if I want to be great, then that's not humble, and that's prideful, and I don't, no, 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 no. Listen, you and I are wired to be great. We're creating the image of God. And what we're to be great in isn't to bring glory to us, but it's to bring glory to God. When, when Jesus prayed that prayer in John 17, he didn't say, Lord, let all of this happen. Let me go to the cross so that everybody looks at me. What did he say? He said, let me go to the cross so that you might be glorified. So, so pride is, or, or wanting to be great is not a sin. I mean, you know, everybody has a desire to be great and, and that's part of God's wiring in us. We just have to make sure that our greatness isn't about us, but it's about giving the glory 
to God. I mean, why do we strive to do more? Why do we strive to be great? I mean, think about that. We went to the moon, and now what? We want to be greater, and we strive to go to what? Mars. We, we made steam engine cars, then they went to gasoline, and now they're electric. Ron Gronkowski sits at home right now and tell me that he's not wondering what he can do with greatness so that he can win another Super Bowl back-to-back. Train hard, work out, have the right mindset. So we all strive for that greatness. Where does that drive come from? I wanna believe that, that that drive comes from that God places that in us. That God places that drive to achieve greatness on God's behalf. Why is it that we wanna tell the world about Jesus? Because it's the greatest story ever told. Why do we want to to instill into our kids proper values and, and words of life? Because that's what God wants us. God wants us to do something great in the lives of our kids so that our kids can live great lives. And why do we do this? Because God is great, and and God has planted those seeds of greatness in our souls. God is good, and God has put that within us to be good people, and God is love, and therefore God says, I'm giving you love so that you know what it means to be great, good, and loving, and that's the life that we're called to live. Deep down, I think we all know that's the truth, but we buy into the lies. We buy into those things that cause us to stray away. Those things to doubt the gift of God. We believe in somebody else or something else persuading us that we are not created in the image of God and therefore we are nothing. The reason why Adam and Eve forgot who they were is the same reason we have to ask ourselves, why, why do we forget who we are? Why do we, why do we have a desire for greatness and knowing at times that we're here to do great things, but then all of a sudden we hear things that bring about our insecurities? Do you have insecurities? I have some insecurities. And sometimes those insecurities can be paralyzing. They can cause us not to be the creation that God created us to be because of these insecurities. So we start listening to these voices, and when those voices know our insecurities, man, let me tell you, they use it as a weapon, don't they? And they begin to shower us and throw those insecurities on us and say those words, and sooner or later, we start believing in their wrong words about us. We forget that we were created in the image of God and we start believing what the world is telling us about us. And that's why it's so important that we surround ourselves with the right people because we wanna make sure that the people who are influencers in our lives are Christ-centered and that we are Christ-centered as an influencer in their life as well. So some of us think that you know, we're not allowed to make mistakes. Well, God doesn't make mistakes. Well, that's true but we're not God in that sense. We are created in God's image. God instills in us the character that he has, but there's only one who's perfect. And we see that in the life of Jesus Christ. You see, as humans, we we experience a lot of different symptoms. We, We experience symptoms of addictions, fears, insecurity, destructive behavior. Um, All those things are tied to one root cause. And once we understand what that root cause is, then we can battle it. 
We can begin to deal with it. People will say negative things throughout our lives, but if we allow those negative thoughts to rule over our life, then we're losing the battle. We've got to stand up against those negative thoughts, and we have to remind ourselves that we indeed are created in the image of God. If you believe that your negative thoughts come from you, I want you to ask yourself a question. So, so where do these negative thoughts come from? Well, do they come from us? I mean, who in their right mind would say, I wanna fill my head with negative thoughts today? I mean, anybody? I don't think so. So I think it's a spiritual battle that's going on. I think, I think our thoughts are not physical. I think our thoughts are spiritual. In fact, if we were to, if we were to um, look at a human brain, if we were to crack a skull open and we were to autopsy a human brain, we would not see negative thoughts in, in looking at that mass, would we? Dr. Valentine, would we see that in a... In, no, we wouldn't because, because the, the brain is, 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 is hardwired, okay? It's hardware. The thoughts is the software. So it's, it's the thoughts that are coming, it's the thoughts that come upon us. So there's this spiritual battle that's going on between good and evil, and the battleground between good and evil begins in our minds and in our hearts and even in who we are. So there's something going on. It's called spiritual war. As Christians, we don't like to talk about spiritual warfare very much because some people hear that and think we're a little, you know, but, but it is war, isn't it? And it's real. And it happens, and it's before us. Most people, I think, believe in evil because they see it. But they can't explain from where it comes. You know, we see evil. So you're, you're, you're scrolling through, you're looking at your headline news or, or whatever news you're looking at. You're reading it on the internet or wherever you go to get your news. And you're seeing that this person was killed or this person did this bad deed to somebody else. And we want to immediately say that that's, that's what evil is. It's the person. See, I think it's more than that. I think it's a spiritual force that's making that happen. And I think when we listen to those voices, we become a part of the challenge that's there. So this begs the question, why does evil exist? And if, we have a, if God is good, if God is loving, if God wants nothing but to shower his people with his grace and, and, and shower upon us all the good things, then why does evil exist? And let me tell you, that is the question that scholars and theologians and average people like you and me have, have dealt with all of our lives. In fact, you know, someone who's a candidate for ministry, we, we have to talk to him about that. Tell us why is there evil? What is this doctrine of good and evil? Where does it come from and why is it there? And here's, here's what I want you to think about. Why is there evil? I want you to think that God is a storyteller. And in that story, God is telling us about what life is. But in that story, in order for us to participate in that story, something called dualism probably has to come into play a little bit, a dualistic piece. And what I mean by that is, think about um, some of your favorite movies. I talked about movies a couple messages ago, like that epic battle, like a Star Wars film or, or you know, uh, Indiana Jones. It's always like good fighting evil. Are you with me on that? So that's called a dualistic approach. So there has to be good and there has to be evil. You know, there has to be a good and bad. There has to be darkness in order to see light. And we see all these metaphors that, that come in to be with all of these things. Uh, there has to be a defeat before there can be a victory. You wouldn't know good without bad. It's all about choices and transformation. So, but at God's level, there is no duality. God is good, period. 
So here you have God in all goodness, and here you have us. We're not God. We're made in the image of God, but we're not deity. And the space between God and us is the spiritual battle. Just hang with me for a second here. We want to get to be with God. But in order to do that, guess what? There's things that are happening to try to thwart that. The serpents of the world, per se. So we see as as we're trying to get closer to God in the midst of that, and we're, we're trying to find, this is where Adam and Eve couldn't get to that place because they saw that evil is the absence of God. The minute they partook into the lie of the serpent, evil entered in, and they could not find God in the way in which God had originally presented himself to be. So this means that there's a lot of space between God and us, and that space is where God gives us choice. So God gave Adam and Eve that space, and God said, you know, there's this one tree. You can't eat from it. That's the space. I give you all of this. And it's in that space that God says, you get to make a choice. You can choose me, or you can choose not to have me. So God creates that space out of his love for us. Because think about it, when you love somebody, and somebody loves you without conditions, is that, not, is that love not more pure, more holy, more long and everlasting than a love that comes with conditions? So God has created that space and he calls us to choose. True love is freely given and the recipient is given a choice to love and to return. You see, so the story begins that Adam and Eve are in this beautiful garden. A serpent comes in and says, God didn't really say that. God said this. Oh, well, I think he said that. Well, I'm not sure. Well, but you need to do this because God has withheld something from you. Let me eat the fruit. And they do. And the challenge comes with what we see. You see, the ultimate choice is that you and I can choose love and we can obey God and we can overcome evil with good or we can believe the lie and let evil win. We can trust God, believe and let good overwhelm evil or we can believe the lie and then evil will have its hand. So, so we need to understand that, that, that we're in a constant battle every day. We're in that margin. We want to be with God. God wants us to be with God. But yet there is something that is holding us back. There is something that is precluding us to get to the place where we need to be. And the point is we need to know that we're in that battle because the enemy knows that. And the greatest deception of Satan is this. He doesn't exist. The moment we fall for that lie, we're done. So think about this garden of good and evil. In the story of Adam and Eve, evil uses a serpent to be the enemy. And in our story, we face an enemy as well. Many will call him Satan. Many will call him the devil. We have all sorts of names. But whatever you call him, he's crafty like the serpent. And he has a plan to defeat you. And God says, you are mine. I did not create you to be defeated by evil. I created you out of my own image and everything that I have is yours, except when you sin. 
So over the next couple of weeks, we're, we're going to talk about this. We're going we're to continue to unravel this story of Adam and Eve in this garden. We want to get to this point where, where you and I can come to understand and realize that there are these forces that are constantly rubbing and working against us, that we have games that get played in our mind, that we want to make sure that we don't fall for the deception that, that God is holding something back from us or that God has not wanted to give us something that is the most gifted treasure because the scriptures tell us that God so loved the world that what? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall never die but have eternal life. God has promised and has delivered the greatest gift. How are we gonna survive this? We survive at knowing these truths. We know how that ends. The great apostle Paul wrote this. He said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He wrote this also in Romans 8, 31. He said, if God is for us, then who can be against us? The garden of good and evil. The tree of knowledge. The tree of that represents life and the tree that is death. God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Think about that. 